Welcome everyone to the MBIT podcast in which we discuss tech, entrepreneurship, and venture capital. Today, Zaid Ali joins the pod to discuss his startup Fish and how the app makes it easier for young millennial and Gen Z founders to connect with VCs. Currently, Zaid is 20 years old and going to be enrolled in Columbia in the fall. So thank you, Zaid, for taking the time to hop on the pod. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. I really appreciate it, Seamus. Appreciate you taking the time. So let's start off here with some background about you and how you got interested in entrepreneurship. Yeah, 100%. So I think it was a uh, pretty traditional entrepreneurship journey for me. It started off when I was really young with your traditional car washes and, and dog washing businesses, lemonade stands. There was this, this one story that my, my parents always point out when they knew I was going to be an entrepreneur. Basically, I would be at my, uh, at my grandparents' house in New Jersey. And I had this little, this little toy truck and I used to go to the fruit bowl, fill up the truck with a bunch of apples and oranges that I found that I, that I found in the kitchen. And then would go around driving the truck to, to my grandparents, family members, and my parents, um, and selling them for like 200% of what they, what they bought them for. They're like, right there is, uh, is our little capitalist. <laughs> and so that was really the, the first, um, I guess my first foray into entrepreneurship. And then in middle school. So at the end of eighth grade, I started my first nonprofit, which is called Onside. And we built a, an organization that helped connect the, or really bridge the divide between people in my community and the newly arrived refugee community through soccer and soccer diplomacy, as that was the one common language that we all spoke. And as soon as you sort of fall in love with something together, then you can expand on that and really grow a formative relationship. And so that was, that was the first, I guess, adventure into, into nonprofits and building a team and, and marketing. And uh, we had a fashion activism clothing line to to uh, fundraise and raise awareness for, for events. And that was a blast to, uh, to launch and run. Um, and then kicked off my first, I guess, for-profit business advisor appointments in my senior year of high school. And that like all things was very serendipitous. One of my, one of my friends that I met in a mosque, I saw on a story that he was looking for a co-founder and on a Snapchat story. And um, I was in the middle of college applications and I was like, great, anything to keep me from doing this. And was like, cool, let's do it. I had no idea what the business did or like what we were doing for the first month, um, but sort of just started to figure it out. And as we grew, essentially I realized that we were a, a platform that helped financial advisors find and manage prospective clients. Um, when COVID hit, it was, it was a great thing for, for our business um, just because financial advisors couldn't go to a golf course or have those in-person meetings and really look each other in the eye and shake hands. So they needed a digital platform that could help them find and manage their clients. And so over the course of about two, three years, we got clients from Morgan Stanley, Northwestern Mutual, uh, RBC, really a bunch of the major wirehouses across North America. And then we were acquired by a private equity division called Next Stage Ventures um, in mid-2021. And then, uh, yeah, tried a couple of different projects, Rise Up, which was an equity crowdfunding platform for minority and female founded businesses that didn't take off. And then eventually found my way to Fish, which is, uh, yeah, what we're going to talk about today. Gotcha. And you obviously have some experience as an entrepreneur from a very young age. What got you interested in venture capital? So venture capital wasn't something I discovered until pretty recently. Um, but I thought the concept of the people with the ideas and the people with the money interacting was such a fascinating thing. And then sort of dove into to what the history of venture capital looked like um, and thought it was really interesting that for about 800 years, we, we ran this experiment where the people with the money had to be the same people with the ideas and the inventiveness, and they had to be the same people with the managerial ambitions to really get a project off the ground. 
And you saw that with banking in Florence or printing in England, there were these projects and really innovative ideas that would get kicked off, but they were really small operations, maybe 20, 30 people all in all. Then you've got your first really account of venture capital with, uh, with Slater's Mill. Um, I think I want to say this happened in, in the 14 or maybe seven, yeah, 1700s. And what happened there was that the Brown family had this, this spinning operation that they wanted to mechanize, had no idea how. And they met John Slater, who was a guy who had the idea and the inventiveness to essentially steal the idea of the spinning mill um, to, to mechanize a spinning operation. The two of them connected. Brown family backed John Slater to build the mill. And that was a massive operation that really took over uh, the North American or really Northeastern uh, spinning operation. And so that was the first account of venture capital. That was the first time that the ideas had been separated from the money and had been separated from the management. And now you could start to see this, this burgeoning of exponential creation start to happen. Um, and that concept just fascinated me and it really got me interested in how can we make that process more seamless and how can we get those people to be as close as they possibly can without being the same person. And if we can get the people with the ideas connecting and collaborating, exploring, building, growing, ideating um, with the people with the money, the world becomes a better place because uh, that's where progress and innovation happens. For sure. And that brings us to FISH. So would you mind talking uh, to the audience a little bit more about what FISH is and what it aims to accomplish? Yeah. So FISH in, in a nutshell is really a, a social network for people that want to change the world. So for your investors, your angels, your early stage VCs and entrepreneurs that are looking to get connected into that system and also your startup community. Um, so you can sort of picture a, a mixture of LinkedIn and Tinder when you're visualizing this. But It'll be a place where founders can talk about their building process, their recent wins and losses, press releases, stuff like that. Um, and then investors, for, for them to do the same, talk about their investing journey and what they're looking for, um, the ups and downs in that process. Now, embedded inside that feed of, of really just startup information, startups can go ahead and click on investor profiles. They can see what sectors they're investing in, um, a little summary of their strategic background, so where they can add strategic value to the company and some of their notable investments. If they deem that investor interesting, they can invite that investor to take a look at a snapshot of their deal, which would include a 60 second video from the founder, a five sentence summary of the company, and their six most notable metrics. Um, and so an investor at the end of the day can scroll through the feed, they can also scroll through their invites, take a look at the startups that have deemed them uh, worthy investors in their, in their early stage company and uh, swipe through. So they can swipe left if they're not interested, swipe right to start engaging in a conversation or schedule a meeting or request additional information like the deck or um, info on the team, um, how much money they've raised, stuff that I guess would be more private for a startup. But if there is an initial engagement and initial relationship being built, then obviously both parties have the ability to collaborate and communicate and share that information directly on the platform. So really making a, a seamless network building platform for this next generation of founders of investors. Gotcha. And the major place that I've noticed where VCs connect is on Twitter. Twitter seems to be a big hub for venture capitalists. And once you start growing an audience on the platform and engaging with other people, there's like a whole other world of founders and VCs meeting. How do you plan to transition users off of Twitter for finding founders and VCs or to use your app in conjunction? Yeah, great question. So I've I've recently gotten into Twitter, uh, maybe started kicked off, like really posting on it about four or five months ago. Um, and I think you mentioned it in your question, right? So if you want to get access to that world, number one, you've got to you got to be really good at content creation, which doesn't entirely correlate with being a, a great technologist or a great entrepreneur. Sure, it helps. Um, but really being able to post 
in a very small snippet, things that can engage a large audience is a difficult skill. And it's probably not the skill that you really want to be focusing on at the early stages of your company. Uh, so growing an audience is a long, it's an arduous and, and tedious process. Of course, it has great benefits at the end of it. Um, but to get to that stage, number one, you have to grow that audience. And so at Fish, we sort of want to egalitarianize that process. Number two is that Twitter lacks the, the features on the back end to really allow this specific community to network. So for example, you can be posting a bunch of interesting content, getting a lot of interest from VCs uh, in your company. Sure, the VC can then DM you and say, hey, I'm interested. But then right off the bat, you've got to leave the Twitter platform, transition to email, transition to sending PDFs or doc send links, sending Calendly links to schedule meetings. And now the rest of that journey is conducted on a 25-year-old piece of technology, which is email. Um, we think that that just adds unnecessary friction to the process you should be able to conduct that entire life cycle directly on one platform. Then from the investor point of view, sure, they can, they can request a deck. A startup can, or the founder can send over a deck. They'll take a couple days to review it, maybe take a couple more days to send it over to some of their friends to get some feedback, send an email to the founder to share that feedback with them, get on a call. And that whole process takes about 14 days. Um, and we're in the middle of that process right now. And you can see where that unnecessary friction is if you can have all of that happen on a platform like Fish, uh, it makes the process a lot more seamless and, and a lot quicker, a lot simpler, um, and a lot more beautiful for, for both the founder and the investor as they go through that journey of building the relationship and engaging in something that is, is really similar to a relationship. Uh, because when you sign on your investor, you're, you're talking with them, you're in collaboration with them, and you're ideating with them for the next 10 years, uh, which is really longer than most relationships last. And if that's the way you're kicking things off, you better kick it off with the least friction as possible. Completely agree. And you mentioned relationships. What do you think are some of the most important things for founders to look for in VCs to build those relationships? Yeah, so one thing that, that I've seen from a founder point of view, you really want to look for, for VCs and investors that are going to partner with you. And you can almost feel that energy as soon as you get on the call, whether there is this differentiating power dynamic, whether the investor has this sort of uh, egocentrism to them, where you have to try and sell yourself and sell your worthiness to the investor. Um, and I actually think it's the opposite, right? Capital is not a scarce resource. It's actually a very abundant resource right now. The scarce resource are founders who have the confidence, the ability, the skill, um, the boldness, and sometimes the idiocy to pursue their companies. And so you should really be flipping that narrative and saying, look, I'm the scarce resource, the capital isn't, and walk into an investor meeting, of course, with, with compassion and, and confidence, um, but a sense of like, I, I got this, you're trying to sell me rather than the other way around, um, obviously in the, in the most humble way you can. But uh, yeah, walk in with confidence because there's some times where investors think that they are, uh, again, they're the center of that conversation when the narrative really should be flipped. So find investors who are going to be your partners. They're not going to be people that want to dictate you um, or think that they're better than you uh, and that really want to build and buy into the vision of what you're trying to create and what the world looks like if your company succeeds 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the line. Those are some great tips. I completely agree with you. I think founders and VCs treating each other like equal partners definitely helps for the long, strong-term relationships because you have to keep in mind, as you said, it's going to be for a decade plus. But so... The thing with networks and social media, one of the types of monetization they use is either through ads mainly or to a premium subscription. Uh, for example, like LinkedIn Premium. What is your current business model to monetization? 
Yeah, so I'll answer this in two pieces. Um, the first part of that question, or the first part of that answer, is that we're we're not going to pinpoint a monetization strategy today. Probably not going to do that for quite a while. We want to see how users are actually leveraging the platform, what they're doing on it, how they're liking it, iterating uh, to get to a point where it's it's filling each of their needs, um, and then see who's extracting the most value, right? Because right now we can hypothesize and sort of prototype some monetization strategies, but from a broader perspective, once we get to that point and see uh, what would make sense based on user actions and feedback, probably going to be a combination of um, of advertisements and subscription. What made you to choose the mobile app route instead of going the web app route, like something like LinkedIn? Yeah, so <laughs> with LinkedIn, we looked at LinkedIn a lot while building this platform and, and initial conversations were, okay, LinkedIn could build just LinkedIn for startups. But when you look at what LinkedIn is today, uh, number one, when you go on their feed, a lot of it is Facebook-esque content. Like I hop on LinkedIn and I see posts about how it's their, somebody's eighth anniversary of their dog dying. Um, or I see posts about a general manager at PepsiCo getting promoted to a vice president. And that I think is what LinkedIn was built for. Um, it was built for the corporate world. It wasn't built for startups and it doesn't have any tooling specifically for startups. So that's number one with LinkedIn's current feature set. If LinkedIn tried to compete, I feel like people in our generation, especially in the founder and investor community, have this sense that, again, LinkedIn is corporate and it's you get to this notion where you can't really make Lexus and Cadillac cool again. Um, and LinkedIn kind of falls to that same basket where if they try to compete, people have this stigma and this notion around what LinkedIn is. Um, and it's it's a very difficult thing to shake once it's been set in stone. So that's the, the first part of, of your question. The second part, uh, why we wanted to go mobile. So Gen Z's and millennials, and I'm sure you've heard this before, but they're the most digitally native generation ever, really the first digitally native generation where they've grown up with their digital language being swiping, not typing. Um, and so a lot of people growing up in the next five to 10 years who are gonna matriculate into the startup ecosystem and really be the decision makers and, and um, power players in that world, they have grown up knowing and wanting and using a swipeable platform rather than one that's based on typing and moving a mouse um, and also one that's a lot less formal. And it seemed like mobile fit all of those those uh, those cohorts of, of user features that we wanted um, as opposed to web-based. That being said, there obviously is a uh, obviously is a pull to have something on a computer just because it feels a bit more professional. So we are going to kick off with with a mobile-based platform, then add some additional web tooling to it. But uh, yeah, for the millennial and Gen Z generation and, and young people in general, swiping not typing is the language, and uh, that just inherently means mobile first. For sure, that's one of the reasons why TikTok has become so popular. And then, as you mentioned with LinkedIn, I was listening to a talk with Reed. Uh, Hoffman, part of Greylock venture capital firm, and he was talking about the way he built LinkedIn is by making it to be the Facebook for professionals. So as you said, that's perfectly aligned with what they're doing right now. And I think that's what differentiates you. You're not trying to be like LinkedIn, you're trying to make it for the next generation. And I think that's really cool. So going into launch dates and actually getting this released, what's your plan for that? Yeah, so right now it's all about the the wait list. Um, and the reason why we're doing that is because number one, you really want to, to imbibe a sense of scarcity into your product um, and also the sense of desire. So uh, obviously when when you were a kid or, or even now, when your parents say you've got to wait for till Christmas to get this gift, it, it obviously makes you want it a lot more than if you got it the next day. Um, 
And so in terms of our go-to-market strategy, we really want to build a brand uh, around the company. We really want to, to drive hype, drive excitement for, for what's to come. Um, and then once we get to a point where we're happy with the wait list, we've led on a couple different rounds of beta users. We're thinking anywhere between five to 10 beta groups. Um, and we've iterated the product, iterated on their feedback and what they've said that they that's missing, that's really working, um, and how to, I guess, uh, smooth out the edges. We'll then be ready to launch. Um, but from this point, again, it's going to be about the brand really driving engagement, creating something that people connect with uh, before the platform even launches. And if we can provide value to people in other ways through content on different social platforms, um, then we're already providing value to them. They're already connected to us. And when we ultimately launch, they're going to stay with us. So that's our thinking with the go-to-market. Uh, in terms of letting on beta users, that'll happen in about 45 to 60 days. And then our official launch is probably going to be in the next six to nine months to, to start to let anybody onto the platform. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. One of the things that have killed startups in the past is that they take everybody on their wait list and just open it up to everybody there. And the issue with that is if there was some bug or something in the app that just didn't work when that uh, when they let everybody come in, then people would get frustrated, then they never visit it again. So I think that's a perfect strategy. And your name for your business is called Fish. That's quite an interesting name for VCs and founders to connect. What is the story behind that? Yeah, so I wish there was going to be something um, something a bit deeper, but it basically stands for funding is hard. Uh, and I was just <laughs> lying in my bed one night and I was thinking about, whoa, what the hell do I name this thing? And uh, yeah, it just popped into my mind because the, the fundraising process is really arduous. It's difficult. Um, and while we aren't a fundraising tool, our goal is to, to help founders and help investors build those networks, build those relationships, connect, collaborate, and, and grow to the point where funding can, can be a possibility. Um, you can also look at it as you're going, going to fish for your next investment opportunity. You're going to fish for an investor and getting them hooked on the line. But, uh, yeah, the actual inception of that name, I guess, originated from funding is hard. Yeah. And you're going to, as you mentioned before the call, you're going to Columbia in the fall. How will you balance school between building your startup? Yeah. So this is a, this is a question I get a lot. Um, and I'm not going to lie, it's not easy. So with advisor appointments, I, I kicked this off again when I was a senior in high school. Um, and at the end of the day, like you got to look at your life as a pie and you've only got 100% to give. And so something uh, has to be sacrificed. And for me in high school, uh, it may have been some, some parties or some social events. Uh, well, I did have a great time in high school. I didn't sacrifice that aspect of my life too much. It came in the form of, yeah, I wasn't able to, to really push myself to to get that that B level paper up to an A. Um, I wasn't able to participate as in many clubs and debate and model UN. So at the end of the day, I told myself that, look, I'm building and working on something that I'm really passionate about. And, and I feel like that's what's going to pay the most dividends uh, later on in my life rather than pushing that B to be an A. Um, and I was willing to make that sacrifice. And so that's what I did in high school. It's going to be a similar thing in Columbia. Um, in college, I will say so that I've already had a semester there. You have a lot more flexibility. But you're going to realize that a lot of people there are terrible uh, with managing their time. So if you can really set a schedule and say, look, the, this is the day that I want to have. This is a life that I want to build. I got to be up at 7 a.m. To, to make that happen. I got to be up at 8 a.m. to make that happen. Um, and really try to, to uh, segment your day into different time blocks. It's doable. So for me, I'm front loading all my classes onto Monday and Tuesday. I'll have the evenings of both of those days to work on fish, and then I'll be able to have 
uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday and Sunday to be full-time on the company. So it's all about balance. It's all about finding what you're willing to give. It's always going to be a push and pull, but it's absolutely doable to find that balance. You just may find yourself having less free time and a bit higher stress levels than, than some of your peers. But if that's the life that you're looking to build and, and you really want to, to dive into this world at a young age and, and make something happen for yourself, I, I feel like that's the, uh, that's the way to do it. That being said, I want to emphasize that it is possible. A lot of people seem to think that they've, they've got to put their dreams or things that they're really passionate about on hold uh, to finish school. And, and I don't think that's the case. If you can find a way to make it work and you can make it work, dive into it and just get started. It's not going to make a lot of sense when you first I guess, make those first couple moves. But as you start to get into a rhythm and see how much time it actually takes to complete different objectives, you can start to model out your day in a way that that works for you. So take those first couple steps, figure out what the balance looks like. It's not going to be easy in the first couple of weeks, but eventually get a rhythm and you'll get a flow and it'll all work out. For sure. Entrepreneurship is definitely a grind. And to wrap it up here, what are your takeaways on venture capital and entrepreneurship? Yeah, so I've got a couple a couple different thoughts on this. Um, I think that the world of venture capital entrepreneurship is, is pointlessly siloed. Um, I think that investors and founders are both aligned in terms of the outcome that they want to see. Uh, everybody wants to fund or be the founder of, of world-changing ideas and, and see more world-changing companies um, manifest and grow and uh, have an impact on people. Uh, like that is the goal of venture capital. If you're operating in the startup ecosystem, you're there to participate in something that can change the world. And when I think about fish, I, I think about what would the world look like if we can increase the frequency and the opportunities um, and, and the, the ability for conversations between investors and founders and everybody in the startup ecosystem, what would that look like? And I think that what it will yield are new lenses and angles people can view ideas and problems and solution sets and imagine the lattices between ideas that can be drawn. Um, and so by increasing the interactions between the gatekeepers who I see are investors and the pathwalkers who are founders, you can ultimately get to a point where there are more ideas that people want to see in the world that can change the world and that eventually get built. But the problem with the way that venture capital and entrepreneurship works today is I think that everyone is focused on the output, right? They're trying to increase the output, which is companies that are getting funded. And you can't really do that without thinking about what goes into that which are the inputs, right? The, the conversations, the relationships, the ideas, the feedback, all of that is what yields the output of a funded company. Um, so when you look at fundraising and, and your matchmaking tools today, they're only focused on forcing investors and founders together rather than having them collaborate and hold hands and walk together down that path. And we see Fish as a way to, to create that new future where investors and, and entrepreneurs are collaborating closer than they ever have to get to the goal that they both have. So it's always confused me why it's so difficult to, to unlock that gate and get in touch with investors and, and collaborate and communicate with them um, when everybody is aligned on that similar mission and that similar goal. And we hope FISH can change the way that people look at inputs versus outputs. And we think that if you can increase the inputs, you can exponentially increase the outputs uh, rather than just trying to, to linearly force a change in that function with, uh, with trying to edit or force together investors and founders to uh to change those outputs i agree i think that makes a lot of sense and before the podcast you were talking about how you were part of founders university and launch house would you mind touching a little bit on how that has been and what you have learned that you're applying to your startup yeah so those two groups have been fantastic and founder university is entirely virtual 
uh, launch house is in person. Uh, they just opened up their New York clubhouse. And what I saw is number one, um, tech is an incredibly welcoming place. I've never gone to, to a networking event or, or some, uh, some uh, yeah, event with, with people from other industries that, that were as welcoming and open to, to inviting me into to their circles and talk about what they're building. And everybody there wants to collaborate and wants to help um, and wants to make the world a better place. And so I think that tech is a very welcoming place. And, and you can see that specifically with the founders at Launch House. They're all brilliant, creating uh, world-changing ideas and being a part of that ecosystem, that energy is fascinating. With Founder University, I think that there is a lot of really tangible um, advice that, that is given throughout that course. Uh, number one, the people running it are fantastic, really accessible, uh, providing a lot of great resources. The people that they bring in um, share their experiences and, and where failure lies is in the things that you don't know you don't know. Um, so increasing your service area to try and find those things and interact with those people that can that have really been there and done that and can, can uh, yeah, share those experiences with you so you can learn and avoid those hurdles and loopholes and, and mistakes in the future uh, is always a great thing. So I think that both of them have been fantastic for, for my development and also the, the development of Fish and the entire team. Um, so for any, anybody that's looking to get plugged into the startup community and, and really have a, a fast track to getting in touch with founders and investors. And, uh, and where can people find more about your company, Fish, if they want to sign up for the waitlist? Yeah, so you can check us out on all social platforms, um, the Fish app, and then you can go to our website if you want to hop on the waitlist or join our pre-launch community at thinkfish.app. Um, and there you can find all of our socials and stuff too. I'll make sure to have those links posted in the episode description down below. All right, everyone, thanks for joining us on the Empid podcast. And thank you, Zade, for taking the time to hop on the podcast. It was a pleasure. Of course, Seamus. This was a lot of fun. Thank you.